Hello, everyone. Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, do you think one of us is going to get the call to help uh, Jordan Peterson with his uh, social media training? Is that a possibility? I don't even know if you go. Where do you go for that? Do you go to the internet? You just... I, I, I think Jordan Peterson's been on the internet enough for one <laughs> lifetime. I think I don't think I don't think more internet is the answer for him. You get a machine that's not Wi-Fi enabled to do the training, just in case, right? Yeah, yeah. They give him like one of those old speak and says. It's like if you can if you, if you can master this, uh, well, well, then we'll talk about getting you a, a flip phone. But and it's why with an emergency stop, so they can go no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, J-Pat. Uh, yeah, he's 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 really something. He's one of he's he's one of Canada's greatest intellectual imports, and boy, is that damning. Uh, open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. Which this week will be Gene Hopkins, who is the new manager of the Wellington Guelph Drug Strategy. We are going to talk about the addictions crisis and the local response as we count down to Drug Poisoning Awareness Day, which is not coincidentally one week from today. And that's going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including Republicans. It's been a busy week for the GOP. They had a debate last night in Milwaukee, and 19 people are presently making their way to Atlanta to get indicted. One of them for the fourth time. Guess which one? Uh, but first, uh, you may have noticed there's a crime. There's a, a climate crisis happening. Uh, kind of hard to miss. Um, wildfires this summer, pretty much all over the place. You look at the map of the West Coast of North America; it's pretty much one big fire. Uh, wildfire in Hawaii that uh, has killed at least 100, although there are uh, hundreds more still missing. Probably, we can probably presume dead at this point. Unfortunately, uh, places around the world, heat's been spiking. Uh, there's warming water in off the coast of Florida, the hottest that the water's ever been. And uh, news a couple of weeks ago that. Uh, the Gulf Stream may be uh, coming to an end in 2025, which I may remind everyone is uh, a year after next. So into this, there's a lot of political stuff going on, uh, including uh, last month, the or I guess it was earlier this month, uh, the Canadian government announced that they're planning to get the uh, electricity grid in Canada to net zero by 2035, which is highly ambitious. It's going to be hard to do that with Alberta, who's already said that uh, they will not be making the conversion to net zero by 2035. And that's just sort of one of the political pieces we have to talk about as uh, apparently fighting climate change, even after everything that's happened this summer, is still a political issue with two sides. (laughs) Yeah, Danielle Smith, uh, you know, when she's asked about does she accept climate change science or anything on that topic? She will deflect, divert, change it. Mm-hmm. And she came up with a wonderful, well, most of the fires are human caused. So yeah, perfect. That's another piece of this is the, all that the conspiracy theories about arson, but go on. Exactly. Spurring on the, the 
arson conspiracy theorists without actually you know, doing it outright mm-hmm. uh, and trying to lay the blame of absolutely everything on Trudeau and the federal liberals, which is also a, a Polyev move. And I guess we'll talk about him mm-hmm. in a bit. But yeah, so the, this is the strong, stable, libertarian genius approach because she's she's beholden to the oil and gas companies in Alberta and Canada, for that matter. Right? It's their mm-hmm. largest. It's what I mean. It's one of Canada's largest line items. Uh, but it's also responsible for what is something like 26, 28 percent of of emissions. Mm-hmm. And she made it pretty clear she's not going to do anything about it. I think twenty fifty was mentioned. You know, we we have our own targets, and as you said about the. I think it was specific to natural gas is like, there's no way, there's no way they're, they're going to try everything possible to not cooperate with the federal government on their net zero 2035 program. Mm -hmm. And it's not as if the program is overly ambitious. It may seem so if you're an oil or gas executive, as far as I understand it, a lot of those companies seem to be on side. I'm sure they'll run as much resistance as possible where they can. Mm Mm-hmm. But in terms of the optics of the thing, I it, they seem to be trying. I mean, I don't trust them. <laughs> let's just be clear about that. But it, there, there is a dialogue there, let's say. But dialogue uh, is pretty much just dialogue. But it's not as if the measures coming from the feds are extreme. They It's it's kind of graduated in. And there's certain things that would be grandfathered in. So an example would be if there's a community that has no other option but to run on a diesel generator then they will continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of improvements that can be made to those things as well without, you know, without hardship, let's say the whole thing I think is to avoid hardship, but yeah, so that's, she will just and her gang run as much interference as possible to on the one hand, please the companies, but also to try and make the feds look bad. Yeah. the, Last month, she announced that uh, they're going to have a seven-month pause on all new wind and solar projects. Um, they're uh, uh, This is according to her. They're going to re- review the use of agricultural and public lands and what role the municipal governments should have in land selection for these projects, which just seems, I mean, it, it seems like kind of the same overhandedness that we have here when it comes to housing, but um it, it just seems like it, it's a pointed attack because um I, I don't remember the last time like uh, a windmill you know caused irreparable environmental damage um I don't remember the last time uh, a neighbor's a neighborhood's concern or a re- area residents concern about like say a pipeline were taken seriously by the Alberta government uh, who are always full speed ahead on any, um energy infrastructure project so i it's it's hard not to see any of that other than a blatant attack and i i do want to there's a couple of things about the fires that that are are worth pointing out number one pierre polivare's uh summer activity has been to do these like sort of uh well he they're called like bring it home rallies which sounds so (laughs) so like you know, bring, bring home bring, your carbon footprint and bring yeah. bring what home? Um, but they're, they're obsessively anti-carbon tax rallies, and the irony is, like some of the most recent ones in like BC and Yukon had to be canceled because of wildfires. So you know, we're canceling our anti-carbon tax events because 
of wildfires. Um, but you know, the, I have seen this go go along, and we've seen this with the Hawaii fires to a certain extent. But we're also seeing this with um, the Canadian wildfires too. This this narrative that I mean, it, it runs the gamut from you know, climate activists are setting fires to prove climate change is real to um, it's nothing to worry about because, you know, somebody threw a cigarette butt away and, you know, three, 3000 different places in the country and accidentally started a fire lightning strikes or this other thing. Rachel Gilmore did the homework. Um, the RCMP are presently inv- investigating 12 suspicious fires for arson out of uh 2,715, and that's of as of mid-June. There have been a lot more fires since then, which is why that sounds like on the low side. In 2022, they investigated 21 out of 4,883, and in 2021, they investigated 40 out of 6,525. So, I mean, either arsonists are getting better at hiding their arson, or we're seeing fewer arson events. As, I guess maybe people are take, are being a little more cautious when they're out in the woods, um, just anecdotally, uh, it seems like arson is being is 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 a less of a concern. And then on top of that, you have um, this UK group uh, who are analyzing the the effects of the wildfires in Quebec, who are saying, you know, it's yeah, you a lightning strike might start a fire, but the reason why it's it's so easy to start a fire from a lightning strike is because it's so dry, and it's and it's the reason why it's so dry is because of cl- climate change. Oh, absolutely, and then the, and we, we see the opposite too with the deluge, particularly at Nova Scotia, being one of the more recent ones. Mm-hmm. Now, th- now, thankfully, BC is getting some steady rain, which is helping with smoke and with the fires themselves. But and but that's it. Sounds like it's more of a normal rain if we can say that now, because it, it's we're we're getting to this point where these so-called hundred-year events and some of them thousand-year events as they've been described mm-hmm. are happening yearly mm-hmm. including the mass burning and I, you've probably seen that graph making the rounds of like okay here are the fires compared to other years and it's we're off the charts everything mm-hmm. is off the charts the fires the floods you name it now to deny the fact that something is happening is so i'm it's i wouldn't i guess it's toned i i prefer the term atonal because that's the sound <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> Paul Lev makes when he's droning on about these things, like standing in the, I don't know how you got a whole petrol or petrol canless station <laughs> to, to commit to him standing, making the speech, which is, was part of his <laughs> bring it home or axe attacks or whatever the hell he's calling it tour. <laughs> uh, like just not getting it. And it, I, I did see a couple of uh, tweets about the MPs in that area, conservative, just echoing what, Polyev is saying rather than saying practical things about, you know, here's how we're going to help with the fires and here's, here's, you know, real information rather than we need to ax the tax because it's, it's going to ruin everything. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not, I, I don't know how that message is even going to resonate with people who are trying to escape these things or who are like, we are seeing these things from afar. And although coming ever closer with the, the, the smoke cloud that arrives. Yeah. But just just to go back to Daniel Smith for a second there, because this the cancellation of these larger projects is a definite attack. Mm-hmm. It's it's come out that she had said that 
the I guess it's the electric electrical system operator, same as in Ontario, right? Mm-hmm. Utilities Commission had asked the government to pause these things, mm-hmm. but some people did digging CBC for one, and it turns out that they didn't actually say that in the letter that they sent to her. So oh. she's using, yeah, exactly. So she's using this as an excuse to shut this stuff down, but it's also thrown that industry and it is an industry and it's, you know, it should fit all the criteria of, you know, the capitalist model has been shut down and sent into chaos. Right. So there's, mm. there's things have been left hanging. There's people who don't know what to do. There's rumors of, of, larger some larger businesses who aren't just involved in solar but other uh projects are, are going to leave alberta they're going to leave the province which may be what she really wants it kind of reminded me of when the uh the ford government got in and and just slammed shut all of those projects and windmills that were already operating or yeah. being built were taken down it's the same approach it's like no we're going to do it. and that that was I wouldn't say even more ridiculous, but it's very similar in that we're we're just because the liberals did this, we are going to destroy it, even though there's a net benefit, obviously. I mean, t- taking out things that already exist to make a political point is just stupid, unless it is something that needs to be uh, taken away. For example, uh, thermal coal exports, which is something that the liberals want to. And it, it's kind of an easy one. It's low hanging fruit in the scheme of this, getting rid of thermal coal exports, which is just sending the energy away, shutting Mm. that down. Mm. Again, there'll be lots of corporate types that aren't happy about it, but the writing's been on the wall for them for a very long time. So, Well, even worse than that, like when when the conversion comes, it's going to happen very quickly. We see that with EVs. All this, like Doug Ford was shutting, you know, canceling EV chargers at go stations when he comes into office. And now all of a sudden he's the EV king. He's like, we're putting in chargers, we're getting battery plants going, we're doing this, we're doing that. He's, you know, he's he loves EVs now. Whether or not he'll ever drive one himself is another question. But, <laughs> um, but you know, we're going to see that. I think we'll see this. And I'm 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 a next, not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it it's been it's been a big enough trend that we can sort of feel this out. We're gonna have a technology at some point that is going to sh- take that shift and move it into high gear. And the question is, is industry gonna be in a position to take advantage of that, or is industry gonna be lagging behind, racing to catch up, as you know, something like AI, for example, or chip manufacturing? or evs and i mean at the end of the day that's kind of what ford has done it's what daniel smith is doing it it's you know it's undermining uh canada's position to take advantage of these things uh when when the shift like finally lifts off and you know the other thing about polyver too uh to my knowledge there's no conservative environmental policy right now the, the last policy they had is from 2021 and i was reading one cbc uh, analysis of it uh and it's like you know what it's better than previous conservative environmental policies but it's not great um which you know backhanded compliment though it may be but if anyone's under the position that pierre polyver uh his conservative party is going to outdo Aaron O'Toole's conservative party on environmental policy. Uh, you're, I have a bridge I want to sell you. So it's, you know, it, it's all fine and well for Pierre to be against, you know, or be in favor of axing the tax or whatever he wants to say. But 
I mean, the, the that was the strategy in 2017 when, you know, the Alberta government was taking the Trudeau government to court and we're going to, you know, we're going to get the Supreme Court to take this tax off. And the Supreme Court was like, no, it's fine tax. It's a, it's a perfectly legal tax. And so, you know, what, what, what do you do now that, you know, your one best policy, which was to fight it in court, doesn't go anywhere. And now you're now you're just hoping that there's going to be enough Canadians to vote for you in the next election that you can just do it. Well, okay, it's it's a strategy. I'm not sure it's a great strategy, but it's a strategy, and we'll see how it works out for him. And that's why Smith is really hoping for Prime Minister Polyev, right? Because mm-hmm. she's trying to make the constitutional argument that, oh no, it's against our rights, it's against Alberta's rights, but. The federal government actually has a lot of power to impose its will, particularly in areas such as this. Anything that we would deem, I, I can't remember the exact terminology, but if it's hazardous, if, if it's if it's detrimental or toxic to the nation, mm. the feds can just say, can override it. And they've done that in, in other areas with other toxins, right? Mm-hmm. So if you get to the point where we're considering things like coal emissions and Maybe not as much natural gas, but that that seems to be her main focus these days. The, the government, the feds have a lot of power. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you the province operates at the behest of the of the feds, even though it's not the same. Um, you're not the same government or the same party, but yeah, like praying. I, her and Polly are pretty tight, and Ford. I mean, it's, it's the gang, the gang. <laughs> like, well, you know, nobody they nobody, want to sweep, right? Nobody in Quebec's pushing for asbestos insulin in order to hold up that one town. It's just, you know. Um, speaking of poisons, oh, I kid. Uh, <laughs> the Republican, uh, as we're recording this, the debate hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in an hour or so. Um, so we can't really de- report about uh, what's going to be in the debate, but we can certainly report on who was scheduled to debate. Uh, Donald Trump will not be. He's instead getting ready to surrender himself for the fourth time. Uh, this time in Georgia on Thursday afternoon. Uh, so leading the debate stage will be Ron DeSantis and uh, Vivek Ramaswani. It's not Vivek. It's it's Vivek. I found that out oh. the other day. Um, rhymes with fake, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it's DeSantis, Ramaswani, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott. Um, Doug Burgum is also supposed to be there, the new North Dakota governor, but he is um a question mark because he injured himself playing basketball this seems to be a weird sort of ritual for republican <laughs> politicians warming up for a debate is to play basketball um plus mike pence chris christie and asa hutchinson the former arkansas governor um so where do, where do you want to take this first scotty uh trump indictments uh or or uh debate <laughs> well we can start with trump not being there he's having a sit down yeah. with tucker carlson instead Great move, smart move, and I don't know if that's to try and stick it to Fox News, that's whether it will, whether it will or not. I mean, who knows? And he's and in all likelihood, he's going to put his foot in it in relation to the upcoming indictments in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So that will be interesting in and of itself. And and he'll be like, we had the best ratings and the top ratings. Uh, I'm looking forward to the mugshot. I saw Giuliani's just before we got on there. So it's beautiful. Yeah. At least he's not smiling in it like a couple of the other ghouls. Like Jenna Ellis has like a little Joker smile in the picture. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah. And I'm so I'm looking forward to Trump's, I mean, instant meme, right? Georgia Mm -hmm. does things a little bit differently. 
in that all this stuff is public, which will include the trial, or not the trial, but at least the indictment tomorrow mm-hmm. is going to be televised, so, mm-hmm. which will have the best ratings ever. <laughs> so, and even in the face of all of this, this is indictment four, right? Mm-hmm. Trump is still well in the lead. It's I, the last number I saw, I think, was 62%. Yep. Will choose of Republicans. Mm hmm. His challenge is the rest of America <laughs> who aren't so big on this guy now. I, this, I mean, unpre- one of these indictments would be unprecedented. I mean, I was, th- I was thinking back, I think we talked about it a while ago, how, you know, somebody like get forgotten Gary Hart has a woman who isn't his wife sitting on his lap. He's out. Yeah. Or who was the guy that did that? The, the yell, the, he did that. Weird Howard Dean. Yell. Sorry. Howard Dean. Howard Dean does that weird scream. He's out. Yep. <laughs> Trump's got the entire American legal system virtually after him. Yep. And yep. Uh, he's you know still standing. So these are obviously different times. And <laughs> should we and there's a bit of overlap, I guess, with the Republicans and uh, Mike Roman. Should we talk a bit about Mike? Mike Roman, who uh, was on the board of the International Democratic Union, which is this kind of fraternal organization of conservative parties, the the current chair of which is uh, a man you may be familiar with. His name is Stephen Harper. Um, so Mike Roman, uh, <laughs> Mike Roman certainly gets around because not only was he, you know, helping Donald Trump out in 2020, he was also at the Freedom Convoy uh, last year. Or at least he took a picture of himself at the Freedom Convoy, which was tantamount of him standing next to a truck with the thumbs up pose, which seems to be like if you're if you're someone who's associated with Donald Trump, you do the thumbs up pose is that seems weird. Um, It seems to be a thing. But yeah, so, you know, it's it's nice to have a Canadian connection to things, I suppose, Um, no matter how tangential. Yeah, initially I thought he was Canadian, but it turns out he's from Philadelphia. But there is yeah. there is some overlap there. But again, talking about the intersection of all these stories, this guy got to start with, uh, I can't remember the name of the organization, but it was uh, Koch Brothers Money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's he's been at it for a, a while. One of these behind the scenes, and now the curtain's going to be pulled back on all this, which is going to make it an extra level of interesting, not that the fact that it's not just Trump, that it's all these other people. He was initially the, like a special assistant to Trump Mm -hmm. and director of research and special projects at the white house. The special projects should always be a red flag. (laughs) When they don't know what title to give you, they just give you special projects. It's like, we don't really know what he does. It's like the Bailey quarters of there's a reference. (laughs) (laughs) Or we don't want to tell you what he does. What what do you do? I don't really know, but special projects in, in this context always involves subterfuge. This guy is not a master, but the whole, um, you know, the election was fake. Everything's a fraud. It's something that he has been at for, he's done it before. Mm-hmm. So of course he's in the right place and obviously initially the right time, but now the absolutely wrong time. So it is going to all this bleeding. I was going to be interesting. And I'm wondering with, and we'll find out obviously how much of this will figure in the debate. Yeah. And I was, I was, I, is it, 
did Trump take a pass because they would all they would do is pound on him about everything that all of this that's going on? It's hard to say what they're thinking, right? But I'm sure it's going to come up, obviously. But it's, well, this, it, yeah, this, the scuttlebutt it's is all so wild, right? It's like I don't know how, like, yeah, the scuttlebutt is he was afraid to, you know, he didn't want Chris Christie wailing on him for an hour and a half. Which, I mean, I find hard to believe that he wouldn't want to get into that fight and, and get into the mudslinging. That just doesn't seem like Trump. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to know because uh, what's interesting about this indictment is that it wasn't it isn't just the Trump show. It's Rudy. It's uh, Kevin Eastman. It's Jenna Ellis. It's uh, <laughs> the love boat of indictments. <laughs> it's, this, it's this guy. With the, guest star. <laughs> it's this guy with the improbable name of Cheeseboro. Um I mean, I don't know how someone named Cheeseboro gets hooked up with Donald Trump. It seems a little on the nose, but okay. He probably calls him Cheeseburger. I'm going to put $100 on that. Uh, I, have to, I wouldn't put any money on it at all. I guarantee it. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting here, and, and this kind of got has gotten less reporting too, is that uh, you know in, in the Florida case, the, um, the, the classified documents one, this guy, Yusil Tavares, um, who was... Uh, one of the employees at Mar-a-Lago has apparently flipped. Well, why did he flip? Because he didn't. He has a new lawyer who um, is not uh, a Trump-affiliated lawyer. And so the question is, how many of these people are going to court, these 20-some-odd people, um, going to court the next couple of days? Uh, how many of them have legal representation um, from Trump world? And are they being well represented? And, you know, there's a lot of confusion in this because Jenna Ellis, who who we already mentioned, came out and said, I can't believe Donald Trump isn't covering our legal fees. Mm. Uh, And apparently um, this came out a couple of hours ago, but apparently Trump is going to be holding some kind of fundraiser for Rudy, who's in the process of selling like his New York apartment and like, I guess, selling everything that isn't nailed down to cover his fees and all his, his debt. Um, and you know, raises an interesting question. It's like, is is Trump afraid that Rudy's going to flip? Because why else would Donald Trump have a fundraiser for so- to give for someone else to get money? It's pretty bizarre. But like, th- that's that's the thing that's going to be going on in the margins of this is like, who's loyal to who? Who's getting their legal bills paid for by who? Um, and you know, it, it's real. It's it's a real bag of cats. Like, who's going to turn on who? It's it's. I mean, this. In so much as like everyone has to surrender by Friday, I mean that's not the end of the story by far. It's it, it, like it's this is just the beginning of a a whole little drama inside the much bigger drama that is the Trump show. Yeah, because we know Trump hates paying for anything, taxes in particular. Yeah, <laughs> but all kinds of stuff, and it's like why Giuliani was his main man, but now he's gonna if he if he does sell him out, then if anybody's gonna roll on him, it'll be Giuliani because he's that much of a weasel, right? Sure. But yeah, I did see some of that. There was some grumbling there about no, he he won't cover. So if he's so wealthy, if he's such a billionaire and so benevolent and all that, there's I mean, sorry, that benevolence is the wrong word because that's not Trump at all. <laughs> but if he wants to cover his ass and needs to pay out like he did with Stormy Daniels, yeah. this is just that on a larger scale, right? You need to not pay these people off, but you need to at least placate them a little bit right and like to keep them sweet to keep them on side because that's that's what's gonna happen mm-hmm. it's the classic you know let's put them in the separate rooms and see who see who does what right <laughs> we'll have to leave it there we're gonna take a quick break and come back with gene hopkins from wellington guelph drug strategy you are listening 
to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. number 28 on this week's CFRU chart, a band called Bonnie Dune, which I thought was a person that's actually a band. <laughs> the album is called Let There Be Music, and that was the title track. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Bonnie Dune. Sounds like music my father used to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you hear it on Off the Beaten Track, which comes on CFRU on... Uh... 9, 9 p.m. on Thursdays. Yeah. Uh, so a couple hours on our show. I don't know if that's the, the type of music that you might hear on it. Uh, what I do know is that uh, Gene Hopkins, her partner, is the host of Off the Beaten Track. Oh. So yeah. So everybody, everybody has a CFRU connection. It's it's only one degree of separation, <laughs> if there's a degree at all. But uh, Gene Hopkins, her job is the new manager of the Wellington Drug, oh, Wellington Guelph Drug Strategy, uh, WGDS, uh, Overdose Awareness Day, which is now called Drug Poisoning Awareness Day, is taking place next Thursday, a week from today. And so we wanted to have Gene in to talk about what the drug crisis on our streets looks like presently and what all is happening to help combat it. It is a very serious problem. And uh, we have many different uh, channels to work towards uh, people uh, exp- to help people experience recovery. And so we wanted to lay it all out there. Uh, just so people know, this is Jean's first official interview in her new position. So um, it's a real open sources exclusive on this very important topic. Scoop. Yeah, it is a scoop, but uh, we'll leave it there and we'll let Gene take it away. Uh, So here's our interview with Gene Hopkins and we'll hit play on that starting right now. Okay, Gene Hopkins, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Adam. Um, And for uh, uh, disclaimer purposes, uh, just so our audience knows, uh, you are... As we're recording this, you are finishing up your sixth day on the job as I manager day, yeah. of Wellington Guelph <laughs> Drug Strategy. So that's impressive uh, <laughs> to walk into this role now. Um, l- let's set the tone sort of very, very broadly. Um, when we're talking about the drug addiction crisis or the the, the drug poisoning crisis or, or whatever mm-hmm. way we want to kind of phrase these things like what are we talking about in terms of like what's happening sort of every day whether that's at guelph community health center or other similar services around our region or around ontario frankly mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that's that's a really great question and a really complex one um i think that 
it's really important to consider here that we're navigating a really different landscape with the current drug supply. Um, and that's leading to drug poisoning deaths. So uh, over the past few years, we've seen an increase across Canada with, with harms related to substances, uh, but in particular with opioids. Um, and opioids are a class of drug that are typically used for pain management. You've probably been prescribed opioids after, you know, getting a tooth taken out or whatever. Um, but in recent years, we've seen an increase in, in deaths, uh, or of drug poisonings. So, um, that might look like, you know, substances that are being purchased on the street. They might be, um, inconsistent in their, their strength and in their purity. Um, so someone might buy something off the street that contains a high strength opioid like fentanyl, for example, without their knowledge, right? So um, this is quite common to see in our drug supply in our community. Um, and there is ev evidence too that fentanyl contributes to 85% of deaths due to opioid poisoning. So nationally, uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada reports that across Canada, at least 21 people die every day from drug poisoning. Um, and, you know, this is a really complex issue. Uh, it's also a really tragic one. Um, and this is an issue that really isn't slowing down. Um, and I think, you know, as a community, we need to uh, respond and we need to, you know, work to develop solutions to address this because, you know, ultimately these aren't statistics. They're not numbers, right? They're, they're people in our communities and, and they're our loved ones. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we when we get the, the sort of alerts about, you know, drug poisonings and there's always sort of a description about like what kind of fentanyl it is and it's usually identified by color you know there's red and purple and mm -hmm. and blue and i i think for those of us who um are not substance dependent you know there's kind of a bit of confusion there you know mm -hmm. and you're talking about opioids you can get you can be prescribed opioids so technically sure. they you know if you're using it and you're under a doctor's care, it, it's not deadly, but at some point between what you get from a doctor and what you get on the street, it becomes deadly. And yeah. I, I think there's still some confusion about how that happens. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so so the opioids, for example, that you would receive after you know, a minor medical procedure, for example, those are regulated, right? Uh, those are regulated opioids as opposed to unregulated, which is what you see on the streets. And and to your point, you know, sometimes those health alerts will sort of describe what they are. And often they look very different and often they're quite inconsistent, right? So um, so it just speaks to the nature of that unpredictability and the toxicity of of the the drugs that you would um purchase on the street but i think you know there are some uh initiatives that are that are taking place um some harm reduction approaches uh and and programs that we have in our community too that that are addressing that um and i can speak a little bit to some of those as well but but mm -hmm. i was thinking too it might be helpful um uh to to talk a little bit about some of the language that we're currently using too that sort of yes. addresses that um you know I'll, I'll and i'll note here that some of the language is kind of shifting a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And we've been using the term drug poisoning more recently. Um, and I think that is really important, right? Because language is uh, language is important, language is meaningful. Uh, and because the deaths that we're seeing are largely due to the unsafe and the unpredictable drugs on the illicit market, the unregulated market, uh, and because they are the major drivers of that death, of, of these deaths, we want to use that language, right? So you know, in other words, people are using drugs and they don't know what's in them. Uh, and in some cases, that's led to them being poisoned by a substance that they didn't mean to take. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we're working to sort of you know, minimize the stigma and shift the language away 
from overdose, which suggests that someone might have used too much of a substance, right. and instead use the word poisoning, which acknowledges the fact that most of these deaths that we are seeing are because of a toxic and unpredictable drug supply on the street. An overdose kind of assigns blame to the user as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think that stigma piece is really important. So 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 you'll probably see a shift in some of the language moving forward. And that's that sort of explains what that is. Right. Um, the big piece of that is people will will recognize um, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. So tomorrow on Thursday, it is Drug Poisoning Awareness Day in Mount Forest. And that will be followed right. next Thursday with Drug Poisoning Awareness Day in downtown Guelph. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I can speak a little bit to that if you'd like yes, to. Yes, please. Absolutely. Okay. So um, so Drug Poisoning Awareness Day is on August 31st. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we're, we're changing the language there this year. Um, but this is an international event uh, that we've been holding both in Guelph and in the county. So on the, the 24th, as you mentioned, in Mount Forest. Um, and, and we've been holding this event for a number of years now. Uh, and the intention really is to hold space and to honor the people in Guelph and throughout Canada that um, have lost their lives due to drug poisoning. Um, and so the intention really is to, to gather and to remember and to grieve with family and friends and, and our community members. Um, but I think, you know, it's also a really important opportunity for us to draw attention to this issue, um, to, to work to minimize stigma uh, and to advocate for change as well, right? Because we know that many of these deaths are preventable. Um, and we need to ensure that there's you know, policies and programs in place that, that are available to, to minimize harms. Um, so please join us on the 31st. We're going to start at City Hall at 1130. Uh, we're going to walk to Royal Bank Plaza from 12 to 1. And uh, that's where we'll gather to acknowledge the, the loss of our community members due to accidental drug poisoning. Um, and everyone's invited to attend, right? Everyone is welcome. So, so we hope to see you there. Uh the county part of the the awareness day i think this is the second year um That's right we're doing that in the county too so is there like a difference i guess in terms of how drug poisoning is affecting people in the county uh versus people here in the city or is it just sort of like maybe a matter of scale yeah, that's a great, great question. I think, um, you know, often what we see in more um, remote regions is that, you know, services are sort of spread out, they, they're they're not nearly as accessible. Uh, in some cases, um, there's a, um, uh, Sanguid has a van that uh, that distributes harm reduction supplies across the county, which is which is an incredible program that many people uh, rely on. Um, so, so, you know, there's, there's certainly, um, Lots of considerations in terms of services that are available and services that are offered to to provide support for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a part of this I kind of want to uh, mine for a minute because um, there are so many different services offered through so many different service agencies. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, there's the CTS downtown. There's the Sanguine Van, as you're talking about. Yep. You know, Wyndham House has programs that that refer people. You know, Stonehenge has peer to peer support. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to ask you six days on the job to list them all, but it, it just, what, one of the things I think, um, I'm confronted with, and maybe a lot of people are confronted with is, um, the question, is it working is, is like this kind of like multifaceted approach working, um, better than say, just kind of having that sort of like one type of approach. And I don't necessarily mean like 
taking everyone who's you know uh, facing an, an issue with addiction and forcing them into treatment or something sure. like that but just you know there are so, kind of so many doorways yep um I, I guess the question is um are, are we doing the best we can for people by offering them so much choice in terms of uh, how how they can address their situation yeah that's a great question and I, uh, my response would be that a multifaceted, broad approach with multiple different services and multiple different options is absolutely essential, right? I think, um, you know, across the province, we've seen um, a volume, the volume of people who need support increase. Uh, I, th I think in some cases, we've seen the complexity increase, as I mentioned, with the the, the toxic drug supply. Um, and people who are struggling need options, and they need a broad range of options. And I think just like, you know, any other health issue, uh, people have different needs, you know, they have different goals. And as a result, we need a really wide range of supports to offer for people who are struggling. Um, you know, and I think in some cases, uh, that might include harm reduction, right? Mm. And and there's mm -hmm. many different types of harm reduction approaches or programs. Um, but overall, they are all evidence-based treatments that aim to meet people where they're at um, and provide uh, comprehensive and non-judgmental uh, supports. And in some cases, without necessarily requiring them to stop using substances too, right? So um, I think, again, it's really taking a look at substance use treatments as being on a broad continuum um, that addresses individual needs and individual um, uh, circumstances as well, right? And and to mm -hmm. ensure that there's a health-oriented response to to issues related to substance use and addiction. And evidence base is kind of key, right? Like mm -hmm. you and and other groups in the community, we're not experimenting with people who use substances trying to see what works yes absolutely and i think that sometimes that can be a misconception with with right. some some services as well um but but certainly you know there's there's um a wide range of services that we will always look to the evidence to and we're always contributing as well to to the evidence base as well right so i'm always taking a look at what's working what's not and adjusting as needed i think with many programs yeah and along with that um a lot of these programs are are for like people who you know maybe recognize that they have a problem and are sort of in a position where they're like ready to try and um, understand their problem and and work through it, work past it, however you want to phrase it. Mm -hmm. For everyone else, though, you know, people who are still using, maybe they don't feel like maybe they don't feel like they're ready. They don't feel like they deserve the help. How do we reach those people, the ones who are kind of alone in the dark, as it were? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's hard to answer, you know, because every person's situation and every person's um, circumstances are, are, are so different, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that, um, I, I think stigma is a really significant component to all of this, right? And doing what mm -hmm. we can to, to minimize stigma. And, you know, we, we know that when stigma exists, that creates barriers for people to access care and access services, right? And so what does that mean for us as a community? And what can we be doing? And I think that that's a really key component to um, a lot of the work that the drug strategy does as well, right? Um, um, we we, we want to minimize barriers and, and, and support access for people to, to seek support when they are uh, in a place where that it might feel really 
challenging to do so. Um, um, so, you know, minimizing stigma where we can, right? Naming what's going on within our community, talking about it with our friends and family members, informing one another um, when there might be substances that are circulating that are dangerous, for example, right? I think, you know, these are all um, ways in which we can minimize stigma. And, uh, and, and hopefully that has sort of ripple effects in our community and, and people might be, um, um, might feel safer reaching out to, to supports, whatever they might be and whatever might be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. How, you know, in terms of people also want to see this as, and even the police chief himself will, will tell you that, you know, we will not arrest our way out of sure. the crisis. Mm-hmm. But, and I guess this goes into some of those misconceptions and stigma. The reaction for people is to still like, if people are in, you know, harming themselves, then, you know, there would, there would be some, I guess they're looking at it through a moral lens that it would be immoral mm-hmm. not to help someone who is helping themselves. But is, is that kind of in it, in its own way, as harmful as sort of letting people harm themselves? I guess, I guess maybe this is, this is a bit, a bit of a broader question, but you know, we can't really just like pull up a the sanguine van and throw somebody in the back and sure, of course not. get treatment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and people again need to, to be in a position where they feel safe to access services. Right. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and again, what that might look like totally depends on the person, totally depends on the circumstances and it depends on what's available within their communities as well. Right. And so I think mm. just going back to our previous, um, uh, previous previous conversation there too. I think you know again ensuring that there's a really broad range of services that um, um, that that people can access. I wonder if you, we might take a moment uh, and and talk about the social determinants of health. I, sure. That's that's one of those phrases that I think we hear and maybe uh, don't fully understand, or maybe we don't realize we, we fully understand, or how all this sort of like intersects housing affordability, like the yes. general unaffordability. Um, the cost of groceries and, you know, how someone might end up um, in a situation where they become addicted because uh, mm-hmm. everything else is so darn hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think, um, I, I think, I think COVID really shone a light on the importance of um, looking at it, looking at health issues from a social determinants lens, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people who were um, uh, unhoused or didn't have access to healthcare services, um, people in, you know, low income in, in certain communities and certain demographics were hit harder by COVID, right? And I think that that's something that uh, where we learned a lot of really concrete lessons as to, you know, some of the broader impacts that can health, that can impact health and, and can impact, you know, health equity as well. Mm-hmm. Um, does that, I, I guess, to, to borrow the phrase, the rise, the rising tide raises all ships or something like that, but, you know, in attacking affordable housing and, and granted this is gonna this is like another one of these multifaceted approach and mm-hmm. trying to trying to do everything at once but you know generating more affordable housing uh like increasing things like the odsp rates and the the ontario mm-hmm. works rates th- is is that something that helps you as uh someone who's working it, uh, in the drug strategy and and helping people who are addicted um is is that a, uh, also a practical solution outside of you know i guess 
if you have a good job and you're getting a good pay and you have an affordable place to sure. live, maybe you don't end up on drugs in the first place. Sure. And and yeah, and again, some of those links are really complex, right? It's okay. never a straight linear line with people's right. lived experiences and their circumstances. And 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 so, you know, that's 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 something that, you know, it, again, really complex and as a result, really complex uh, solutions are needed for for these issues. Mm. Um, you know, I I it's a it's a really interesting question and a really great one. Um, that, you know, maybe after <laughs> six days on the job, uh, I might not be in the best best place because I'm doing a deep dive and learning about all. The, the complexities in the, in the intersections myself. Right. Um, but I will say, you know, that the, the drug stroll takes on a really unique role, right, where we bring forward perspectives um, and support initiatives that fall under four pillars that I that um, that are really crucial, right? So for example, mm. prevention, uh, treatment and recovery, harm reduction, and community safety, and absolutely social mm. determinants of health are are interwoven with all of those pillars, right? Um, and I think the drug strategy is a really um, uh, uh, unique. It's really unique in that it takes a coordinated approach to uh, ensure that all community players are working together, that they're learning from one another. Um, you know, and I will say that. You know, after only six days on the job, what <laughs> I have observed is that Guelph does collaboration really well mm-hmm. um, um, and that people communicate with one another. Service providers communicate with one another in a really incredible way. Um, and, you know, everybody is committed to developing innovative programs and approaches that that meets the meet the needs of all of the members of our community as it relates to substance use. And then, of course, the links to those social determinants, right? So housing, um, you know, income, uh, and so on. So I think, you know, hearing from all community members is essential in tackling these really complicated issues. But I think also, as it relates to substance use, most importantly, I think collaboration with people who are most impacted by drug poisoning is so crucial. So people who use drugs, right? People Mm -hmm. who, um, uh, people with lived experience, people who have lost loved ones and family members, right? We need to hear those voices and they need to be a part of this conversation as well. So again, not a quick fix, but uh, but collaboration is is necessary to make changes. And, and I think Guelph does that quite well. Mm-hmm. Looking ahead a bit to, you know, this time next year when you've been on the job for <laughs> 371 days, um, it, you know, where do you where are you hoping that we will be like in terms of like in in terms of immediate goals? Like, is there a, an immediate goal, or is this is this more of a marathon that you know um, we're just going to have to 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 play it as it goes? That you you know, there's really nothing. Well, not nothing yeah. we can't do, but you know, just in terms of like there's there's it's not going to be like we'll see a major difference in a year or or right. anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the 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 overarching goal of the drug strategy is um, to uh, reduce the health and social harms associated with substance use. Right. That's big. That's complex. I think, you know, a year from now, it, we want to see um, no more deaths due to drug poisoning. Right. We want to see mm. a wide range of um, uh, treatments and support and services and approaches for people who use drugs and for for um, people in our community. Um, um, and, and again, working towards minimizing stigma so that we can talk about this and develop solutions collaboratively and, and, uh, and as a team. Mm-hmm. Maybe to wrap up then, um, if somebody's listening, maybe they need help themselves, maybe someone in their life needs help. 
Um, I mean, obviously, without knowing what exactly that looks like, but it, you know, if someone's stuck and they're mm-hmm. they're trying to figure things out, whether again it's for themselves or for a loved one, um, how how do they begin? You know, what's the best? What's a good place to begin for for that person? Yeah, that's a, such a great question. Um, and I think, you know, again, I, I go back to the the really fantastic uh, services that we have in our community. I think about, you know, the work that Stonehenge does, uh, Wyndham House, the Guelph Community Health Centre. So I would say, you know, reaching out to um, to some of our um, our fantastic uh, commu- community based organizations is a really great first place to start. Um, we also have a website, the Guelph Wellington Drug Strategy, WG uh, drugstrategy.ca and I, I welcome everyone to take a look and to you know inform yourself and see see what's out there um, see what community partners might best meet your needs or the needs of your loved one um, and you know that's that there's there's such a wide range of options currently um, but still so much more work to be done here mm-hmm. and I take it if if someone were to reach out to let's say you or somebody at CHC and if you don't have a program that can specifically help them you can refer people to other programs where they might get the absolutely. help they need yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah for sure yeah. okay yeah. i just wanted to make sure that you know it, it it there's no bad place to ask for help of course yeah, yeah absolutely and i think that's that's a really great point for sure all right well gene hopkins thank you so much for uh taking some time out of day six good luck on day seven <laughs> thank you so much i really appreciate it and uh yeah we hope to see you at um at the drug poisoning awareness event on the 31st all right well thank you for your time today okay take care okay once again that was gene hopkins uh drug poisoning awareness day is next thursday so august 31st uh in the meantime if you or someone you know uh are having problems with substances if you're in crisis and you need support or know someone who does i'll, I'll give you this phone number 1844 247 1844-437-3247 that will connect you 24 hours a day seven days a week to uh someone who can refer to you or who can refer you to one of 11 different agencies across waterloo region or wellington county that can help you so uh, if you do feel like you are in need and or if someone you know is in need, call that number 1-844-HERE-247. And that's a wrap. That's a wrap for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And uh, <laughs> you can stay connected to us. Uh, you can listen to our show again uh, by downloading it every Monday from our website at opensourcesguelph.com. We're on the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean. Or you can get a through get us through your favorite podcast app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. We're also on social media on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I will be back here on CFRU Wednesday at 3 p.m. for our movie review show that I co-host called End Credits, and it's going to be a brand new episode after our summer vacation there. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter, and Blue Sky. I've defected. <laughs> I was blessed with the Blue Sky code. Oh. Anyway, yeah, if you're joining us at our regular time on a Thursday, please stay tuned for the great Turtle Island Underground. Indeed, and that's one of the many great programs that you will hear on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. 
As for this show, we will return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then. (laughs) 